I'm turning this morning to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, and we'll be looking this morning at verses 1 through 11. Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. I do want to begin by reading those 11 verses, and that'll give us and set the context for the message this morning. Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethphage unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek, and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way, others cut down branches from the trees, and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. I want to draw your attention back to verse number 9 and the expressions and the cryings and the shoutings of the multitude. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. That word Hosanna literally means save now. That's our subject this morning is save now. It was not long after our studies in the transfiguration that we saw Jesus began to move in a more resolute fashion or a more determined fashion towards Jerusalem. We've been building up to this over the last few weeks. We've been watching his progress through the various chapters of the Gospel of Matthew. He moved from areas primarily made up of Gentiles to areas through Capernaum into Judea. And then where we see him in our passage today, we see him arriving at his destination in Jerusalem. This event is often referred to as the triumphant or triumphal entry. And sometimes, believe it or not, this particular event is sometimes overshadowed. Uh, It's overshadowed because it's leading into the great events that we're most familiar with. But it is indeed a great turning point. It's a turning point not just simply in the life of Jesus. It's a turning point in the entire history of the redemptive work of Christ. It's one of those moments that the history of the world's changed by this great event. And it seems, in many ways, it seems a bit of a strange encounter with animals, donkeys, and colts, and garments, and palm trees, and branches, and disciples going what it seems to be on a strange mission 
But yet all of this is the unfolding of this great work of redemption that Jesus Christ had come to do. So we see something that we really want to determinedly put our focus upon. Not just for the sake of knowledge, but really for the spiritual depth that is given in this particular account. To those that are already saved, this is a point of saying this is that chapter, that preface before our Lord goes to the cross. And remember, Jesus always had Calvary on his mind. He always had the cross. He always knew that this is what he'd come to do. Uh, These are the things that he had promised back in Matthew 16, that he was going to go to Jerusalem and he he was going to be scourged. He was going to be mocked. He was going to be spit upon. And if we were to read that and then have jumped to this, we would have thought, what do you mean? I don't see scourging. I see people lining the streets. I see people waving palm branches. I see people shouting, save now. Hosanna in the highest. How could something so glorious of an entry match up to what he had said back in Matthew 16? Where's the scourging? Where's the mocking? Where's the rejection? And yet it's only a matter of days that we see the triumph of his entry into Jerusalem being changed into the call for him to be crucified. But this event serves as a great reminder to those that are in Christ about what Jesus did for us. But I would say to you friends today who are here without Christ, this ought to serve as a great wake-up call. It ought to serve to you as a great reminder that there is a judgment coming. It ought to serve as a reminder that there is only one way of salvation. There has only always been one way of salvation, and that is through the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ. I would ask you not to get so drawn in by what might seem to be, to the human mind, kind of a silly story. Why is Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, sending disciples on a mission for a donkey and a colt? Of all the things he could do, why would he do such a thing? Well, because we realize that this is a direct fulfillment of prophecy. That this would be the clear sign that those crowds that are lining those streets as he enters in riding upon that donkey were the very fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. You'll know the Messiah when you see him do this. And so we see in these first three verses, we see Jesus entering in. And we see the two disciples And he gives them a very specific command. He says, go into the village and straightway you shall find an ass, a donkey tied, and a colt with her. Loose them. Bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, you shall say, the Lord hath need of them. And notice this, straightway he will send them. The time has come. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming now. He's preparing to go to the cross to suffer and die for the sins of His people. He's finishing this great work. He's gone to Jerusalem as He said He would. He openly enters into Jerusalem, the place He's told His disciples that they're going to mock me, they're going to scourge me. He comes in openly. He's not trying to hide. He's not trying to sneak in under the cover of darkness. He's entering into Jerusalem to reveal Himself. This idea that Jesus is hiding himself or is hiding himself even from you today who are without Christ is just not true. He's not hiding himself from you. He's right in front of you. 
If you're here without Christ today, Jesus is right in front of you. He is openly revealing himself as the Messiah, as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the only remedy for your sinful condition. As he comes near and he gives this very specific command, he doesn't say just go find two random animals. He specifically says, I have need of these two specific animals. He orders the disciples to go and to attain them. He directs them exactly where to go. He tells them the very place that they will find these animals. He says, go into the village against you. The Lord has need of them. Why does he have need of him? Because he really needs anything? No, this is the fulfillment of the prophecy. I have need of those particular animals. Here's where they are. Notice that he very clearly tells them that you're not going to have to search for it. He just says, go. Straightway, look at verse 2, ye shall find. Jesus doesn't say, now this is a, I'm not trying to be irreverent, this is a scavenger hunt, disciples. I want you to go to this town and I want you to look under every rock. I want you to check every stable. I want you to check every barn. I want you to check every field. And I want you to acquire these two animals. He says, no, I want you to go specifically here and straightway, straightway, you will find what you're looking for. It's very true that whatever the Lord commands, whatever the Lord has by his sovereign will determined, he sends us on the way and we will find exactly what we were sent looking for. The Lord, it's amazing to me, and if you, if you don't stop long enough, the amazement of the sovereign knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ here is incredible. He knows exactly the location of a donkey and a colt. It makes our minds take, sit up and take notice of a God who knows exactly the location of even the smallest of insignificant creatures. And yet, Jesus takes notice of us. He took notice of us as sinners. God Almighty was mindful of us. He didn't have to be. He didn't have to show Himself to you. He doesn't have to reveal Himself to you today. You who are here without Christ today, He, he doesn't have to show Himself so openly to you. He would have been just as right to keep Himself concealed and hidden. But even as we read in 2 Corinthians 3, that veil it has been removed. Do you want to see Christ today? Not just as an unbeliever, but even as a believer in Christ. The Lord told them, you're not going to have to search. He also did not leave the disciples without the orders of what they should do. He said, when you find them, and you will find them, he says, loose them and bring them. One commentator, I'm not, no, I'm not sure if he was trying to be humorous, but he says it almost sounds like they're supposed to steal them. When you just read to that point, go get them and bring them. But they don't debate with him. They simply go. There's no questioning between the disciples. What do you mean, Lord? We're going to go and we're going to find these two animals and we're supposed to just take them? Well, you notice he goes on and he says, not only will you loose them and bring them, but he says, if any man says unto you, you shall say the Lord hath need of them. He gives them the very specifics of what's going to happen. It's just simply their responsibility to obey the Lord's commands. What he's saying is not to steal them. He's telling them that that person who owns those animals 
is going to willingly give them to you. You're not going to have to fight him for him. You're not going to have to convince him. He is going to willingly give you these animals that I have sent you. And I just want you to say, the Lord hath need of them. And look what it says. Straightway, he'll send them. Imagine all the schemes and plotting and planning we would have done as those two disciples going, trying to figure out what if this guy doesn't give us these animals? What are we going to say? How are we going to convince him? Take God at his word. Jesus said, when you say those words, the Lord hath need of him, he is going to willingly send them with you. It's trusting God's word and trusting what Christ has said is exactly what he's going to do. It's an amazing thing that not only did he tell them exactly where to go, how they were to proceed, that he who owned these animals would willingly give them up. The Lord hath need. Now again, if Christ is sovereign, God is sovereign, what could he possibly have need of? Could he not have just simply in his sovereignty, could he have not just made these animals appear? Sure he could have done that. But he was showing us something about his humanity. He's showing us something about the humanity in which he in the incarnation has come and taken upon. He was showing the need, still God, but saying he had a need. Here's this Jesus who could command his disciples to do exactly what they were supposed to do, but yet he says, I have a need. The owner of this donkey and this colt was going to be used as the means for one of the greatest events in all of human history. An unknown owner of a donkey and a colt is used to usher our Redeemer, our Savior, into Jerusalem. Have you ever been a Bible study on the man who willingly gave up these two animals? No, he's obscure. But you know what that man, even in the, 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 prophet, the prophetic Old Testament Scriptures is doing? He's fulfilling the prophecy. Verse number four says, All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. Matthew, writing on the inspiration of the Spirit, says all of this is a fulfillment of prophecy down to the very smallest detail in order that Jesus Christ would be brought to this very moment in history. We have here the record of simply two disciples sent to fetch two insignificant animals. A strange request. Might even seem unnecessary but even Jesus himself said there's no need to worry about the end result because you will get exactly what I sent you for you don't need to raise a question about it you don't need to object to it there's no difficulty by way of just a stopping point as an application here how many of those things that we've been asked to do even in our own life do we just stop and question and wonder, well, what if, God? What if I'm not received well? What if it doesn't go as you said it would go? Look, all we're told to do is wherever the Lord bids us to go, whatever he tells us to do, we're just simply to obey and follow and go. Don't worry about what to say. God will give you the words to say. This is a perfect example of Jesus saying, I want you to say specifically, the Lord hath need. 
all of this to fulfill prophecy. We see that in verse 4. Verse 5, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and the colt, and a colt the foal of an ass. It's interesting, as you've, if we've been studying through the book of Matthew, I think you've been aware of this, is Matthew is always reminding us of the Old Testament. He's always reminding us that these are not just random events, that this is Jesus Christ actually fulfilling these prophecies. There's not a single detail being left out. All of this was done. All of it. Down to the very words Jesus told his disciples. Again, folks, what is this leading to? This is leading to the great finishing work of the redemption of the sinner. To those that are in Christ, this is a turning point. This is a remarkable passage. The Old and the New Testament go together. We don't understand the New if we don't have the Old. Now we have a, it's interesting, if, if you've done any preaching or teaching yourself, I know some of the men in the church have done this, you can find various commentaries, and commentaries say they're, they, they, they vary so widely as to the emphasis and the focus. But one of the things that was very popular years ago, and it still has some, uh, is, is to find all the harmony in the Gospels. And there is a wonderful study if you look at how the Gospels all fit together. But have you ever stopped to think about the beauty of the harmony between the Old Testament and the New Testament? How the Old Testament feeds the new and how all of those things are going together because the, the fulfillment of prophecy is extremely remarkable. So remarkable, in fact, that even down to the smallest detail, Jesus Christ is fulfilling it. Fulfilling it for the purpose in which he came, which was to bleed and to die and to raise again for the grave, from the grave for his people. There are no insignificant events in the life of Christ. Whether it's in his humanity or in his deity, as he came to this earth, each one of these events is a fulfillment of the prophecy. Now, one of the prophecies that's being mentioned here is specifically found in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, and then also in Isaiah chapter 62. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, as a prophetic word, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Notice the wording here. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just, having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. This prophecy of Zechariah 9.9 specifically is being fulfilled right before our eyes. Some prophecies are a little bit more obscure when you study the word. It's harder to see them. And men have studied years and years and years. And sometimes those fulfillments might be debated. They might be argued. Someone might say, I think this is this prophecy. Here's one you can't argue with. This clearly Christ is fulfilling Zechariah's prophecy that the promised Messiah would come and you're going to know him because he's going to ride into town on the back of a donkey. It couldn't be more clear. Again, you that are here today that say, I, I don't see it. He's not hiding himself from you. This is not obscure. 
If this was a news clipping and an article about something that happened exactly the way it was said it would happen, you would believe it in an instant. But here's Jesus being put right before your eyes and some will still say, I won't believe that. And yet this is as clear as it could possibly be. The fulfillment of the prophecy, Jesus, behold, thy king cometh unto thee. Isaiah 62 and verse 1 and verse 11 it's not quite as clear, but it is a being fulfilled right before our eyes here. Isaiah 62, verse 1. For Zion's sake will I not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth. Verse 11. Behold, the Lord hath proclaimed unto the end of the world... Say ye to the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy salvation cometh. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. Literally, Jesus is proclaiming and announcing to the world, Here is the promised Messiah. These passages represent Jesus as a king, but meek. As a king, but lowly. As a king, but humble. He doesn't come riding on a horse of war. He doesn't come riding in a great carriage or come with pomp and circumstance. But he comes on the back of a donkey. Jesus himself said in Matthew eleven twenty nine, I am meek and lowly in heart. That's not just a random statement about what you should be. He's referencing even in Matthew 11 about how he would be presented meek and lowly. Fulfillment of prophecy. Behold, the king cometh unto thee meek and lowly, sitting upon an ass or sitting upon that donkey. The very tenderness of Christ is seen in this entrance. Here's a king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, yet coming to extend the greatest mercy that could ever be extended. And yet Jesus never turns. He simply fulfills the prophecy as it was given. Now, we understand, and by their response... By the people's response, we see that primarily or mostly the Israelites that were lining those streets understood this prophecy. It, this was not something they didn't see. They saw it. They saw what was happening, happening before them. They could see that this was the fulfillment of the prophecy, which is what leads them to respond the way that they respond. They had been waiting for a king. This was not something that just started up in folklore. This goes back many, many generations. Fathers and mothers taught their children there's coming a day when Messiah would come. So those Jews that went out to line those streets, when they saw this, it wasn't something they weren't expecting. So how in the world did we get from Hosanna, save now, to crucify? Because in a matter of days, that's what happens. Jesus didn't come as a conquering warrior. He didn't come girded with a sword. He didn't come as a, with all the pomp and circumstance of a person who's just conquered a nation. He came in humility. How did Christ die upon the cross in humility? 
Christ died humbly. He comes into town on a donkey in a humble and meek way. And yet, what is he bringing? Brethren, he's bringing salvation. Verse 6 and 7, the disciples went, notice this, did as Jesus commanded them. Brought the ass and the colt, put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. Notice they adorned these animals. They didn't question what Jesus had told them. They just simply went. They did what he told them to do. They carried it out. Now, they did something interesting, not in rebellion against what Christ has said, but as the disciples brought the donkey and the colt, notice they did something that he didn't specifically say. They put clothes, garments, adornments on those animals. Those adornments were very common in these type of processions. This would not be unusual. It was a vision of a procession of a conquering king. They would adorn the animals with clothes. That's what's happening. This is not something new. It's not something we have to dig deep into and try to find a hidden meaning. But the disciples in verse 7, they did this on their own accord. This was their response it does tell us a little bit something about what they're willing to do. They were willing themselves to acknowledge that what was happening right in front of the faces of all these Israelites and even in front of them is they were willingly sharing in this triumphant entry. They weren't forced. They did this voluntarily. These garments were placed. Christ was placed upon. Simple yet full of truth. This wasn't an artificial king. This wasn't an artificial Messiah. This was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, don't forget that up to this point, and this is extraordinary, there has been more than one event where people had tried to take Jesus by force. You realize in this procession, Nobody that we're biblically given an account of steps out of the crowd to try to take him by force. And yet he's openly revealing himself. No one cries out and says, get him now. Now I will submit to you in just a few moments, we're going to look at another passage. There's plotting going on of how they're going to get him. But remember that. It's happening and yet here he comes in freely. Gladly. These people who line the streets are going to cry out. As would be the case if this happened in our day. Look at verse 8. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. When you see the phrase a very great multitude, you don't have to have an exact number. But what you're talking about, this was an extremely large crowd of people. This was not just a scattering of people hanging out by the street side. No, this was a great multitude. The entire uh, city had been taken by this unusual event that was taking place. Now remember, Jacob, even all the way back in, G in Genesis 49.10, had said that there would be a, unto him shall a gathering of people be. That was a prophecy. 
That was fulfilled more than just this time. It was fulfilled many times. Wherever Jesus went in his earthly ministry, a crowd followed him. Now, sadly, a lot of the crowd followed him for one reason, for what he could give them. We'll follow if you give us food. We'll follow if you'll heal us. We'll follow if you can bring someone back from the dead. But will we follow you as Messiah? No. Will we follow you as the Redeemer? No. So I want you to keep that in mind. The great crowd doesn't mean that everybody in this crowd was acknowledging Jesus Christ as the promised Redeemer. No doubt where any crowd would be, there was a great level of excitement. We see that in verse 9. The multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Now by their actions of carpeting the road, you might say, they're putting their garments in the way. They're spreading garments in front of Him, on the side of Him, behind Him. Others are taking uh, leaves off the trees. In John's account, in John 12, 13, he says the people took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him. I want you to think about an event that gathers a lot of people today and the excitement that would be building. That's what's happening here. Jesus is being welcomed. From the most, of the, the, from the, the most common of people, they're all lining the streets. What an unusual thing this would be. So what did they think? What did they see? What did they hope? Remember, they were looking for a king, but primarily Israel and the Jews were looking for someone to deliver them from the current Roman rule. They wanted someone to give them deliverance now. The use of the word Hosanna is very, very important because they are in effect saying, save now. But they're not saying, redeem my sin, sinful soul right now. They're not saying, Christ, you are he who is going to the cross, the promised suffering servant of Isaiah 53. Save us from our sins. No, they're saying, save us now from the Roman oppression. You see, there are people today that want Jesus, but they just want Jesus to deliver them from the current evil world. They don't want him as Messiah. They just want Jesus for what he can give. So those churches I told you about last week that decided what we need to do is have Star Wars Sundays and Barbie Sundays and Marvel superheroes and what a heretical travesty. What an abomination to God. Oh, they want Jesus, but they don't want Jesus as the redeemer of their sinful souls. They just want the good time Jesus. You know, good time Jesus has never been more popular than he is right now. You can find a good time Jesus church in the teens. You go 50 mile radius outside from this church 50 miles out. You can find numerous good time Jesus. We just want Jesus to give us all the good things. That's what this crowd was. We want deliverance. Save us. You know what's even more sad is they're using biblical language. Hosanna in the highest is not a new terminology. It's actually a word that's used, it's a phrase used in the Psalms. And it was only meant to be used for he who was the deliverer from sin. Yet they're using it in what they wanted Jesus to be. 
They were looking for a king to deliver them. They hoped that Jesus, we'll see this in a minute, the prophet of Nazareth would prove to be the promised one. You see, everywhere the name Jesus goes, even today, people get excited about the name. And I don't mean that necessarily in a good way. It raises the emotions. Proclaim the name of Jesus Christ in any town, square, anywhere in the world. And for some people, it will raise the emotions of King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Some, it'll just raise the emotions of what a fraud. What a crutch. Jesus is just a crutch. I don't need religion. Only weak people need religion. I'm not asking you to come to religion. I'm asking you today to come to Christ. Come to Christ as the Messiah. The only remedy for your sinful condition. Have you ever stopped and considered, I was thinking about this early this morning, have you ever stopped to consider everything that Jesus did among them? He healed their sick. He fed them by the, by the thousands. And yet, they still did not believe that he was the promised Messiah in the sense of salvation. This symbolism about laying garments in the road, this was not just a unique thing either. There's actually an Old Testament precedent that is set by the action of laying palm branches and laying garments in the road. It was a sign of submission. But it was also a sign that the Jews used. It was very common. So when other Israelites are seeing this take place, they're seeing these garments go. They're seeing these palm branches. They're seeing all this happen. This was not just uh, peripheral things. This is things they knew. And yet, they still are desperately blinded to what's happening. Numbers flocked until there's not only a multitude, but the Word of God says there's a great multitude. Crowds following the Lord, they mostly had one mind in them, one voice. It almost reads as if this is being said in unison. Hosanna in the son of, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. You can almost hear them chanting it in unity. Again, Hosanna means save now. I told you they were actually quoting Scripture. They're quoting Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26. This is not a random expression. They go on and they say, Blessed be, the na- blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. Here's what Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26. Listen to the wording. Save now. I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. Can you imagine a great multitude of people shouting Jesus, save now, save now, quoting Scripture, and yet still be desperately blind? You realize I'm not asking you today to cry out to a God that you don't know. And I'm not asking you to quote Scripture. How many people you imagine know some Scripture? They might even know who Jesus is. But they're dead in their trespasses and sins. 
You ever had a conversation with somebody who asked them, do you know God? And they say, oh yeah, I, I, know, some, I know some scripture. I, 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 I learned John 3.16 when I was a child. I, I can still quote it from memory. Does that mean they're a child of God? No. I, yeah, I, when I was a child, I used to memorize whole chapters. I didn't ask you, did you know about God? You could memorize Genesis to Revelation and still be dead in your trespasses and sins. You could be like these weak churches and you could give perfect attendance medals out to people just for showing up and be dead in your trespasses and sins. You could have made a profession of faith one day when you were 10, 12, 13 years old, even went down into the baptistry waters and still be dead in your trespasses and sins. Do we understand that this morning? This, this is not just some working knowledge of some prophecy and working knowledge of God. This was the Messiah. Do you see him? Do you know God? Do you know the requirement to get to a holy God? Do you really believe that your righteousness even now is as filthy rags? The very best that you could offer is still your required service and it wouldn't be enough. These people knew the right terminology. They knew about Jesus. They knew some scripture. They could clearly see that Jesus was the fulfillment of the prophecy. Obviously, they're delighted that Jesus has come to their town. But again, we know what happened soon after this. Many of these same voices are the ones that say crucify him. It's what I mentioned to you this morning when I made that statement. And again, I'm not claiming to know anything more than you know. But when the day comes in this country... When they tell churches don't preach Christ any longer, some churches will go on as they've always gone on because they haven't preached Christ in decades. They haven't preached a gospel message to a congregation of people for years. There are people even today say, why in the world do you preach the gospel to believers? Number one, we're commanded to. And number two, I have no way of knowing for certain that everybody in this room knows Christ as their Savior. I'm not asking you to know about God. I'm not asking do your kids know a few scriptures. I'm not even asking you do they know all the books of the Bible. Do they know Christ? Do you know Christ? Say, yeah, I've been a member here a long time. That's not what I asked. We do everything we can to screen, to make sure people know Christ as their Savior. But at the end of the day, there are people, church rolls all over this world who don't know Christ as their Savior. These Jews knew exactly who this was. And when it comes to our nation and we're told to no longer preach the name of the gospel, there will be those today who are preaching the good time Jesus who will also be shouting, we want nothing to do with that God. We want nothing to do with him because right now all they want is the goodness of what he can do for them, what he can bring them. The people were confessing that Jesus had some authority. Even if they just believed he was coming to exert earthly rule. Do you know what the Jews almost to a man and woman believed? That Jesus 
was sent by God. But they missed him as the Messiah. Notice the question. When he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? Who is this? There were still some in the crowd, and there were still some saying, Who is this? Now that's a good question. That's what we ought to inquire today. If you're here today, the question, if you don't know Christ, the question you should be asking yourself today, who is this? Who is this Jesus that I've heard you speak about for years? Who is this Jesus that when I, I, I again, do this carefully, I, I go and I listen to sermons online and I found this preacher and he keeps talking about Jesus. Who is this? Again, we can make an assumption in our church that everybody in this building right now knows who this is and yet not know who he is. The arrival of Jesus sparked such a uprising or such excitement that it caught the attention of the whole city. Now, sometimes we're prone to exaggerate, aren't we? We say things like, everybody was there. Well, that's kind of what this means. When it says all the city, it doesn't mean every single resident, every single home was there. But it gives you the context that this was not something that was small. It was probably the talk of the town. Hey, have you heard? Jesus just came into town on the back of a donkey. Have you heard about it? Did you, have, have you been down to see this? And, and people are shouting, Hosanna! Blessed be the name of the Lord. And yet there are other people saying, who is this? Should they have known who he is? Yeah. They not only said, who is this? But look what the multitude's conclusion was. And this is important. The multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Now, is that true? Yes. Was Jesus a prophet? Yes. Was he from Nazareth of Galilee? Yes. Are they speaking facts? Yes. Are they speaking the truth that they should be speaking? No. To him and to them, the multitude of people were just simply saying, yeah, Jesus is that prophet from Nazareth. You realize today that if that's who you say he is, that's not salvation. It's not confessing, do you believe Jesus is a prophet? Do you believe he's from Galilee? Sure, that's not salvation. That's just simply an acknowledgement of something that is factual about him. You can know the facts about the word of God and not know Christ. There are people that call themselves theologians in the church and outside the church who don't know Christ from another human being. But boy, they sure talk theology. They sure talk like they know this Jesus. No, to them, he's just a prophet. Most secular colleges and sadly some Christian colleges, you could sign up and take a class on the Bible it won't be what you think it is. You're not going to hear about Jesus the Messiah. You're not going to hear about Jesus dying for the sins of his people. You're going to hear Jesus was a prophet. You're going to hear like all the false cults say, yeah, he was a good man. We can't deny he didn't do some good things. But Messiah, Redeemer, Savior of my sin, no. 
go to any secular university and they're going to show you and they're going to teach your kids how to look at the Bible as nothing but a book of fairy tales. This multitude simply said, who is this? Everyone who had entered that city, anyone who was standing there, the multitude said a unanimous answer. This is Jesus, the prophet. True answer, but not the whole truth. But I want to challenge you with something as we bring this to a close. Can you imagine being this well-informed and being in this much unity and being dead in your trespasses and sins? Can you imagine just a group our size? Let's just, let's put this in reality where we are. Just group our size, all in agreement, but agreeing wrongly. That church over there is safe because it's got the most people in it. That church must be right because they're adding people to the membership role. They're baptizing 3,000 people a year. That must be the right one over there. Thousands and millions of people can agree on something and be wrong. Imagine a whole town being this well informed. You know, part of preaching the gospel is to proclaim the truth of who Christ is. We proclaim not only the name of Christ, we proclaim his offices, we proclaim his, his humanity, we proclaim his deity. We proclaim the reality that he is the fulfillment of all of these prophecies. And yet never in any other generation has we had, have we had more access to the truth of the gospel than we do right now. And yet at the same time, never before have we had access to so many false things. As a pastor, just let me say today and just warn you again, not everything you turn on and click on and listen to is right. Some of it is downright heretical. There have been people that have left churches over the years saying they heard something on YouTube and they followed it and it was error, it was heresy. Multitudes agreeing do not mean that it's right. Now the grand truth is, as the Bible does say, there is an immeasurable, innumerable number of people who are in Christ and will be in Christ. And I take great comfort in that. Knowing that the gospel as it's gone forth and continues to be preached, it's glorious to know that there are people today, I can assure you of this, somewhere in the world whose eyes have been opened, they have been saved today, glory to God. It might be one in a little church that nobody knows about, but praise God for that one soul. It may not be a giant evangelistic crusade, but think about every day, 24 hours a day for all mankind and humanity as the gospel's gone forth, there have been souls added to the kingdom. How glorious is it when we see someone in our congregation repent of their sins and come to know Christ as their Savior? It's been the highlight of the ministry here is to see God open the eyes of sinners. But it also ought to awaken us to the reality how could so many people be wrong?
lining the streets. Imagine within hours, days, Hosanna's save now was turned into a way with him. Crucify him. Many of the same voices that were lining those streets were the same voices saying, I want nothing to do with that man. Luke does add an interesting thought, and Matthew doesn't say it. It doesn't mean it's an error. And if someone tells you, see, the Bible contradicts itself, teach people what a, define what a contradiction is first. Just because Matthew says something that Luke doesn't or that John doesn't, doesn't mean it's a contradiction. It's the inspired word of God. But Luke does add something different. And if you want to turn there, I think it'd be, it'd be helpful for us to see it. It's in Luke 19. And it's the same account, but there's, a, there's an additional adding here. Um, look at Luke 19, verse 38, saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now notice this. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude, so the Pharisees were also standing there, said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. That's interesting. The Pharisees are telling, hey, tell your disciples to be quiet. And look what he says, and even the multitude, I love this. And he answered, Jesus is speaking here, and said unto them, I tell you that, if these, if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Now, I don't know if you've ever studied this, never thought about this, but even if you silence the voice of every single human being and not another single voice ever praised Christ, the stones would. Talk about deeper than a devotional thought. The stones would immediately cry out. Jesus is simply saying, silence the disciples try to silence the crowd, it would be an exercise in worthlessness because creation itself, get this, creation itself would celebrate the arrival of the Savior. You see, he's not dependent upon what the multitudes do with him. He's not dependent upon whether or not they'll give him the praise and honor and glory. Because even if another person never cries out, Hosanna, creation would celebrate this is the Messiah. This is indeed not just a minor event. This is a turning point. Jesus comes into Jerusalem, openly proclaimed as the Messiah. And what it does is it sets now the stage of many of these now unfolding events that are ultimately going to end with Jesus allowing himself to be taken, going through what he said he's going to have to endure, leading into not only his suffering, but his crucifixion, his death, and don't lose sight of the last part, his glorious resurrection. And then later ascension to where he now lives evermore to intercede for his people. Today, the question is, do you know him? Do you know who this is? I'm not asking you today to cry out, save me now as your earthly deliverer from your earthly problems. 
Many a person has cried out to Christ just to heal their medical condition. I'm asking you to cry out, save now to a Christ who can save you from your eternally everlasting destination that's upon you without Christ. You need a Savior. I'm not a sinner. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You are a sinner. Our children are sinners. Our adults are sinners. We all need a Savior. And there's only one who can save. It's Christ or it's none at all. Every person in this room, the moment they cried out, Christ save me, he did just that. No one that's ever cried out with a need of repentance and belief in Christ Jesus has he ever turned away. And everyone that's ever cried out says save has saved him. I often do like to think about how many people, how many people today called on Christ's name and were saved today? Do you know we ought to rejoice even if it doesn't happen in this building? You know, when someone else from another church tells you that so-and-so called on Christ, that they, are, they were saved today, can I, just, can I just admonish you to rejoice with them? Don't say, boy, I wish that was happening at our church. We're brethren. If they're saved at another church where the gospel's being proclaimed and people are being saved, rejoice with them. One of the great joys of that prayer meeting is praying for people I don't know. Taking their name before the throne of God. And then taking other brothers and sisters I may never meet. Taking their requests before God and praying with them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Not just the people in our little congregation, but the brethren. If you've never repented of your sins today on the authority of not me, but on the authority of the word of God, repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Save now. Call upon him. He will not cast you out. Amen. Let's finish by singing our closing hymn in the hymns of grace 164. We've had a theme running through most of the hymns today. Some of you have already picked up on it. It's the theme of Christ as the shepherd. And that page number should actually be 167. 167. Let's stand as we sing, Good Shepherd of my soul, come dwell within me. Take all I am and mold your likeness in me. Before the cross of Christ, this is my sacrifice, a life laid down and ready to follow. 167.